So glad to be back with you and be able to bring the word of God in my church home and in this house of the Lord. I'm so glad to just be back in the pulpit, uh, even though I'm here by myself and not with you all. I'm still with you all in spirit and I'm with you all in your living rooms and your dining rooms, your bedrooms, wherever you are watching this. I'm with you uh, there in spirit. And at least uh, we have the technologies that allow us to still be able to communicate and hear the word of God through these mediums uh, right now. Uh, what we're going to do is still remember and reflect on our sick and shut-in. I always like to start off uh, reflecting on them and being sure that we keep them in our prayers, we keep them in our hearts, and we keep them in our minds. We have a very extensive list, and the first person on our list is Deacon Robert Lee. Deacon Robert Lee, uh, Brother Lamar Green, Mercedes Powell, that's uh, Deacon Harris's daughter, uh, Brittany Johnson, that's Sister Coretta's daughter, Annie Jenkins, Marshall Carmichael, George Carmichael, that's Marshall's husband, Brother Sam Hayslip, Charmaine's husband, husband, uh, Sister Queen Johnson. Also, I want to uplift uh, Sister Hayslip, uh, uh, Brother Sam Hayslip's wife, because I know uh, she's had a lot she's been dealing with as well, uh, with her ribs and everything. So I want to uplift her as well. I said, Sister Queen Johnson, that's Charmaine's mother. Brother Henry Marshall, that's Coretta's father. Sister Peggy Keebler. Sister Beatrice Randall. Sister Devon Williams. Sister Inel Childs, that's Roberta Pope's mother. Sister Constance Glaze. Uh, mother Lynn Terrell. Uh, Sister Garvia Reed. Also Sister Arlisha Sloan and her son. Uh, Sister uh, Tiana Bennett. Tania Bennett, I'm sorry. Uh, Sister Jackie Olson, and Sister Catherine Dillon, uh, Sister Monique Lawrence, and also we're praying for uh, Deacon William Cloud's family and the loss of his nephew. Um, he just recently, we just recently got that information, so we want to uplift Deacon Cloud and his family at this time with the loss of his nephew. Also, also Sister Betty Sanders and the loss of her sister as well. So we want to uplift all these people and everyone whose name we may not have received i want you to remember that you can text that or, or send their names out to the family care and also you can uh, reach out to your deacons or reach out to any uh, one of the church staff and let them know that you would like their names to be put on the uh, sick and shut-in list or just a uh, list for prayer so let us pray at this time lord we always come to you with thanks no matter what we're going through because no matter all that we see, no matter all we, uh, we all that we face, there's still something we can be thankful for. So, Father God, we thank you for this moment to uplift our sick and shut in. We pray that each one of the names that I have gone down, each one of the names that I have said, uh, that you would come to them and be with them in their individual and private struggles. Lord, we pray that you would grant healing upon them. We pray that you would grant peace of mind upon them. We pray that you would be with them in whatever way they need you to be there with them. Lord, you are omnipotent and omniscient. Lord, you are Jehovah Rapha, which means you are a healer. Lord, you are Jehovah Shalom, which means you are a peacemaker. And Lord, we need all those aspects of you right now. So Father God, all that's going on in the world, we know there's things that are changing daily. There's new information that we're getting daily, but we pray that it's in your will that you would keep our loved ones. We pray that it's in your will that you would keep our household together. We pray that it's in your will that you would heal our lands. So Lord, I uplift these names. I also uplift the names of people that didn't necessarily get these na their names to us. But Father God, we pray for them anyhow. 
Lord, we know that you are able. We know that you are liberated. We know that you're a provider. And we know that your grace goes beyond all understanding. So we thank you and we praise you. And in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once again, I thank you all for bearing with me. I thank you all for um, tuning in even when I was in the living room of the hotel. It means a lot for you still to be tentative listeners and to still read your word. And right now, the passage of scripture that I'm coming from is John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. That's John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. I hope you know what John is. John is one of the four gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's right after Luke. So it's one of the four gospels. And I hope you know exactly where it is. It's in the New Testament. And that's John chapter 12. And I'll be reading verses 12 through 19. This is Jesus's triumphant entry into Jerusalem. The reason why I'm reading this passage of scripture this morning is because it's Palm Sunday. And in spite of us not having the traditional Palm Sunday where you would be in the sanctuary and we would pass out the palm uh, crosses and leaves and things of that nature, we're still going to do what we have to do to uplift the scripture which commemorates Palm uh, Sunday. And at this passage of scripture, Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. The header for this text is called Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The text reads, verse 12, the next day. The great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, and it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's coat. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and that he had been done and that hey, they had been done to him. I'm sorry. So the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. It was also because they heard that he had performed these signs that the crowd went to meet him. The Pharisees said to one another, you see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of this word. Pray with me very quickly. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this Palm Sunday. We thank you for your son's sacrifice in Jesus's name, in Jesus Christ. We thank you for that sacrifice that he gave coming into Jerusalem, Lord already knowing that he would be traveling on the road to the cross, starting from this weekend. They were saying, Hosanna, but going to next weekend, they were saying, crucify him. And we thank you, Lord, for having a determined, for having a, a selfless savior that will go to his death knowingly so that we could live. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Oh, Lord, you always have been and shall be my strength and my redeemer. Amen. What I'd like to entitle this, this Sunday morning, is God's plan, a different agenda. God's plan, a different agenda. Not too long ago, Pastor Hodo's birthday just passed. And I found myself recently thinking about one of our last conversations. And in our last conversation, he asked me, uh, what I was planning on doing once I graduated from seminary. It was the last semester 
of my three years in seminary. And he called me to check on me and, and just asked me, what were my plans after seminary? Now, anybody who knows Pastor Hodo, uh, one thing he likes to do is find out what you're doing before he tells you what he wants you to do. So before he revealed his cards, he wanted to see what cards I had in my hand. And I told him that I uh, was looking at going into military chaplaincy in the Army National Guard. I told him it was a part-time role and I, I was excited about it. It was something I learned about in seminary. And he said, okay, that's, that's good. And then he said, well, I'm looking at opening up a associate pastor position here at New Morning Light. And I just wanted to know what you thought about that. And I smiled at him and I said, that actually sounds pretty good. And I told him that I would be interested in the role. And he said, I think it can work out because he knew the National Guard was part time. And this role as associate pastor was also part time. So he took my plan, mixed it with his plan. And then we came up with our plan. And our plan was seamless. It was working good. He told me that everything that I didn't learn in seminary, all the practical things I didn't get in seminary, he was going to teach me. And anything that he couldn't teach me, I would learn in military chaplaincy in the Army National Guard. So, like I said, our plan was seamless. It was perfect. And then I would say about a month or so later, I get a call from Sister Cooley. And Sister Cooley lets, Cooley lets me know that uh, Pastor Hodo has transitioned. Pastor Hodo has died. Then about a month from that, I get another call from the committee in which I've submitted my application to to let me know that the job description would be changing and the title of the position would be changing from associate pastor to senior pastor and would I agree to take on that role instead of the associate role. And very quickly, I realized that our plan was different from God's plan. You see, God had a different plan. God had a different agenda. And I found myself that summer being sworn in to the Army National Guard and also being brought in as the pastor of New Morning Light. And I found myself in a predicament where I was a little frustrated because I had made one commitment and I had made another commitment and now I had two commitments that didn't go along with the original plan. And I found myself thinking, Lord, if you had just stuck with the plan. But once again, I was reminded that God's plan often has a different agenda. Sometimes God's plan isn't our plan, and sometimes God's plan calls us to reevaluate our plan. And nonetheless, New Morning Light accepted me, and we pushed on anyway. And what I had to do was go back to the drawing board and come up with a new plan. Some of you all may remember in a leadership meeting, I called this new plan the circuit plan. This plan was designed to keep things running while I would be gone on my way to uh, military training. I was a little distraught about this because when I looked at the fact that I would be here for three months serving as pastor and then I would be leaving in the new year for another three months making my time away just as long as my time is being here. And I'm thinking, whose plan is this? But nonetheless, brothers and sisters, God's plan always has a different agenda from our plan. And so we came up with this plan and in the new year, I start my military chaplaincy and I go through the training and then maybe not even two months into the training, COVID-19 hits. And when it hits, it puts an end to everybody's plan. And since it's put an end to everybody's plan, everybody gets a front row seat to the lesson that God's plan is a little different from our plan and often has a different agenda. In the middle of the training, they 
They let us know that we're going to have to stop and that we're going to be put on these different restrictions. And I found out that all the different things that I had put in place at the church, all the speakers that were going to come each Sunday that had worked out all the previous Sundays before this COVID-19 hit was now compromised because now the church couldn't even meet. And as you all know, I'm in uh, my hotel living room recording sermons, sending them back to Sister Goodlett and, and, and Brother Kellen and trying to, to get at least something that you all can have as far as spiritual food. I was constantly reminded that my plan will always take a back seat to God's plan. And brothers and sisters, what I want you to know this Sunday and what I want you to be able to take from this lesson when I get further into it is that God's plan will always supersede our plans. That God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's ways are not our ways. And all we can do when God's plan prevails over our plan is sit back and adjust. Sit back and reevaluate and figure out how to pick up the pieces or figure out how to move with the punches or figure out how to walk on these unsteady seas. Sometimes our plan is compromised by God's plan. Brothers and sisters, in the text today, coming from John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19, we see a conflict of plans. We see a conflict of expectations. What I want to do this morning is take a very familiar text and point out some unfamiliar themes in the text. Because in John 12, verses uh, 12 through 19, Jesus is riding in on the donkey. And if you could take your theological minds and move with me, Jesus is riding in on this donkey into Jerusalem. And he's sitting high on this donkey and people are around him with their palm leaves and they're waving the palm leaves back and forth. And they're shouting Hosanna at him and they're throwing their cloaks on the ground as the donkey walks over the cloaks. And everybody's happy. Everybody's cheering. Everybody's calling him king. And Jesus is just riding in on this donkey. But you see, what I want you all to take from this is, is there is a conflict of expectation in this moment. There's a conflict of plans in this moment. You see, the Israelites have their plan. They have their expectation of what they expect and are thinking that Jesus will do for them. And God has his plan and his expectation for Jesus as he's making his way to the cross. So Jesus is in the middle of two conflicting plans. For those of you that are very knowledgeable of the scriptures, you know that the Israelites have been in exile for a long time. They've been in exile under the Egyptians, and then they escaped the Egyptians and got to the promised land. Then when they got to the promised land, they started acting like they didn't know God. So then God let them fall under the exile and fall under the reign of the Babylonians. And then when they fell under the reign of the Babylonians, next they fell under the reign of the Persians. And after they fell under the reign of the Persians, then they fell victim to the Greeks. And after they fell victim to the Greeks, now they are under Roman rule. So since they're under Roman rule, they're still at a place where they cannot govern themselves. They're still at a place where they're subject to Roman authority, where they have to pay Roman taxes. And they're like their own uh, city-state within a city. And they're having to figure out how to be Jews and observe their Jewish tradition in a culture and in, a, in an area where they worship pagan gods. So all that they're trying to do at this point is get back. To the glory days. To them, the glory days were the time of King David. 
when they had their temple and they were able to worship in the temple. Those were the glory days they were trying to get back to. And what Jesus represents in this moment for them, for their plans for him, is that he will liberate them as being their king and raise up a military might that will overthrow the empire. So when Jesus is riding in on this horse, they're looking at him with the expectation that he's going to overthrow the empire and that he's going to be the one to save them and restore them back to what they once were under King David. Uh, you'll see the remnants of this in Zechariah 9, 9, where it says, see, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a coat, the fold of a donkey. And what the Israelites are expecting is Jesus to be the fulfillment of this prophecy. So Jesus comes riding in on this donkey as the fulfillment of the prophecy with his own plan. And his plan is to follow God's plan, which is not exactly the Israelites' plan. But there's some things I want you to take from the text here. Jesus riding on the donkey represents peace. Him riding in on the donkey represents royalty. The palms in the text represent victory. And Jesus in the text represents king. And when you hear the word Hosanna and them screaming and shouting Hosanna, that means to save. So what they're doing is they're acknowledging Jesus as their king and they're crying out to him for him to save them. However, Jesus isn't concerned with saving them in the same sense that they're looking at being saved. Jesus is more concerned with saving their souls. You see, what I found interesting in the text is that the Israelites expect a political uprising that will restore them back to their former glory, back to their former glory that they had in the Old Testament. But Jesus is trying to show them something new in the New Testament. He's trying to show them and bring them to a new covenant. That's what actually New Testament means. New Testament means new covenant. What Jesus on this horse represents is this transition, this movement into a new covenant. Covenant. This movement into a new covenant is him moving to the cross. And in his death and sacrifice on the cross, a new covenant is established. You see, this brings me back to our theme for this year. If you all can remember, our theme is renovation and restoration. Say it at home with me. Renovation, restoration. What the Israelites are looking at having done is everything being restored back to what it was. But what God's plan is for Jesus is to renovate some things in the culture and renovate some things in the religion. So as you can see, God's plan is a little bit different from the people's plan. God's plan has its own agenda and the people have their own agenda, but the people's agenda will always fall secondary or always fall short of what God's plan is. Brothers and sisters, God's plan wasn't to restore them back to what they once had, but God's plan is to bring them into something new, a new covenant. God was more concerned with their spiritual well-being. God was more concerned with them having life with him after death. God was more concerned about where they're headed to opposed to where they come from. Brothers and sisters, during this time of this turmoil with COVID-19, a lot of us are praying that God will restore us back 
to what we once had. A lot of us are praying and hoping that we'll get all the same things back. We'll go back and mend some of those old relationships or, or we'll go back and be able to come back into the same positions that we once were or get back to the same flow of things that we once did, get back into those same habits that we once had. And I just want to pose the theological question that what if God has stopped everything that's going on in the world to not only get your attention, but move you from what you were doing? Move us as a world from how we used to think. Move us as a culture from how we used to do things. That whole business as usual mentality to transform us to get to something new. You see, I was talking to one of my friends the other day about this and uh, she gave me some good feedback. She always gives me pushback. That's, that's why you got to always talk to some, another pastor when she... Um, go to seminary or once you read the text and you're about to preach, you, you need to run some of your thoughts by some, some other people that also read the text. And she challenged my thought process of a God that would put us through so much, all of the death, all the killing that would, would stop our society. And, and she challenged that idea if I was really ready to preach that God is doing this in our time, allowing people to... Um, get the virus or possibly die from the virus and and how could I reconcile that in the text and what I told her is that this is nothing new in the life of the text when we look at the Old Testament we look at people that have died we look at people that have have suffered so tremendously and what I think God is doing is showing us as a world and as a whole that something needs to change I think God is doing a universal and global movement of change instead of necessarily an individual one. Yes, I know it's hard if we lose our mother, if we lose our grandmother, our loved ones, but I think God is not getting caught up on the individual aspects of people and things right now, but God is trying to do a universal shift in the world. You see, a lot of us get caught up in, well, I did the right thing, so why is it that now I must suffer or my grandmother must suffer. She's always been faithful. She's always done the right thing. She's always prayed. And yes, she has. But some of you all can remember back when we were in elementary school. If one person talked or if a couple of people were talking in class, the whole class got in trouble. Didn't necessarily mean that just because you weren't talking doesn't mean that nobody else was going to get in trouble uh, or you weren't going to get in trouble. But because all of us. Uh, are in the class and all of us are a part of what was going on, everybody would get in trouble. And I just am thinking that something's going on in the world that impacts all of us to the point that God is trying to make a universal shift in the world that will cause us to move from one area of thinking, one area of relationship with him to another point of relationship with him. And I think he's assigned us different roles in all that we're experiencing. Some people's role is to just go on home with him. Some people's roles is to stay here on earth and fight the battle. Some people's role is to get the COVID-19, the virus, get through it so that God can get the glory. And while it may not necessarily be a message that all of us want to hear, everybody will pay our part in God's plan. Whether it's the good, whether it's bad, where it feels good, where it's happy, you'll remember even a part of God's plan for Jesus was for him to go to the cross and die. And even though he died, he was still resurrected in the end to go back and be with the Father. So those that we've lost in Christ, 
will then be risen up again in the body of Christ. So, so we don't have to worry about our loved ones. We don't have to worry about the people that we've lost. We don't have to worry about them because they're in a better place. And just because we're hurting right now, we're sad about all that we've lost and all of them, we can still understand it's all a part of God's plan. God's plan for us is to be in deeper relationship with him. God's plan for us is to reevaluate our habits, reevaluate how we've been doing things in the world. You may ask, well, where is more evidence of that in the text? And where I would like to point out to you in the text where I see God moving is before Jesus gets to entering in Jerusalem on the donkey. Jesus has done a lot of things to, to stir up confusion in the community. One of my pastoral mentors, Pastor Timothy McDonald, does a beautiful illustration where he points out how Jesus disrupts the status quo. And if we look around in our world, I think so much has disrupted our status quo. We can take some comfort in this. Uh, my pastoral mentor, Timothy McDonald, he said, when Jesus turned water into wine, the Alcohol Association, they got upset. When Jesus walked on water, the scientists, they got upset. When Jesus preached his sermon on the mountain, the preachers, they got upset. When Jesus started casting demons out of people, Satan got upset. When he fed the 5,000, the grocers association got upset. And when he healed the sick, the medical association got upset. When he raised Lazarus from the dead and all the other people he raised from the dead, the funeral home and the mortuary association, they got upset. And when he gave sight to the blind, the optometrist got upset. But the final straw of when he made the wrong person mad is when he enters Jerusalem on this donkey and people say Hosanna and acknowledge him as the king. Because remember, the Jews are living in exile under Roman rule and for them to acknowledge Jesus as king is to now make a treasonous claim. And treason is when you're looking at overthrowing the current government. And what they now find in Jesus is that Jesus symbolizes something different and something that will cause a shift in society. You remember the last part of the text that said, you see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. They saw that the world was supporting him. They saw that the world was saying Hosanna. They saw that they were cheering and, and, and calling his name. And now the empire's upset. It was one thing to make everybody else upset. It was one thing for the Pharisees to get upset. But now the Pharisees have teamed up with the empire. And now he is looking at being executed because of political reasons. And because he will be executed because of political reasons, we're looking at Jesus now riding in on a donkey, symbolizing peace in the midst of adversity. You see, the people don't know he's going to be crucified yet, but Jesus knows it's a part of God's plan for him to be crucified. So when you think about Jesus riding in on this donkey, when you think about all of the people around him saying Hosanna, you should be able to see yourself in the midst of a chaotic situation. Because what Jesus is doing is riding in on a donkey in the midst of two people's perception of him and what he should be doing. This is a chaotic situation because Jesus is riding in on the expectations of people going to liberate him, of the people expecting him to liberate them. But he's also riding in on the promise that God is expecting him to be crucified die 
and rise again for the sins of many. So he has the weight of expectation on both ends. And even though he has the weight of expectation on, on both ends, he, he's walking or he's riding this donkey through the crowd. He still is in a state, in a state of peace. He still has a mindset that he's going to follow through with what God's plan is. Brothers and sisters, what I want you to take from Jesus in this moment is that no matter how bad it gets, no matter whether life is, is, is lifting you up and making you feel victorious or life is weighing you down, calling for your demise, you still have to remain in a state of peace. And brothers and sisters, I know that's easier said than done, but what we can do is we can call on the name of the Lord. We can call on our Savior. We can call on Jesus and ask for that same peace that goes beyond all understanding. We can ask for that same peace that allowed him to ride through the crowd on a donkey in the midst of people saying Hosanna this weekend and being keenly aware of them going to cry out, crucify him by the next weekend. Jesus is riding in on the donkey with his disciples that even gave him a cloak to sit on. The same disciples that later on down the line will betray him, his very own friends. Despite all of that, he remains in a state of peace. Because while he knows everyone else has their plans for him, he knows it's his destiny to fulfill God's plan. And brothers and sisters, I know it's a lot going on in the world. I know it's a lot that has been compromised with our individual plans and all that we would want to be doing right now. Everything in our 2020 goals have been completely just blown out of the window with what we're experiencing with this virus. Our school system has been compromised. Our social structure has been compromised. Our health industries has been compromised. The church has been compromised. Funeral homes, businesses, all of that. Religion, all of that has been compromised. And what I want to challenge you to do is in the midst of all of this confusion, in the midst of all of this chaos, is to call on a peace. The same peace that Jesus had riding on the donkey. The same peace that Jesus had that even though people were praising him, waving the, 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 the palms, which symbolize victory, that they will be waving their fists by the next weekend, screaming for him to be crucified. We, 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 we pray that God gives us peace in the midst of this storm. We pray that God keeps our heart and keeps us in good faith during this time. And what we have to do is keep on reading the word. What we have to do is keep looking in the word for when other people, other disciples, other prophets, other uh, instruments of God were able to stay in good community and stay in perfect peace through being in community with God. What I think God is focused on right now, brothers and sisters, is not us being restored back to what we once had, but us being able to move forward into something new. Not only something new, but move forward into a deeper and stronger relationship with him. When I talked to my friend and she challenged what I was thinking, I had to come back and challenge her and, and, and say to her, well, you know, when God stops every aspect of our life, isolates us, and puts us in a position where either we can spend our time at home moping around feeling bad, or we can spend our time at home on our knees praying and reading the word. If we turn to God and pray and read the word, God will reveal to us his plan and God will show us the direction we need to go. And sometimes I feel like God stops everything we have going on in the world so that we can be humbled and brought to our knees 
and submit to him and pray. There was a song that uh, the singers sung, Diana and, and some of the singers sung uh, last time I was here in March. Um, as a matter of fact, last time I was here was in February. The song talked about what if God is not happy with our praise? What if God is not happy with the way we praise? We must change the way we walk. We must change the way we talk. And we must live a life of meaning uh, to our Lord. And, 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 and that really stood out to me while reading this text and while looking at what's going on in the world around us. And when I began to start thinking about the fact that God may not be happy with the way we're living in our world. God may not be happy with the way we've been doing things in our world right now. And just like he sent Jesus to come turn things around and cause a little bit of confusion and how he was healing the sick and healing the blind and spending time with people that most people wouldn't have spent time with and challenging everything even down to religion. When God sent Jesus to do that, he sent him to do that because people were getting more caught up in religious doctrine and getting more caught up in what the law said and they were losing sight of interpersonal relationships and they were losing sight of how to truly be in connection with God. So he sent his son Jesus so that we could have a deeper connection with God. And I wonder if during this time God is challenging us, compromising all of our plans so that we could have a deeper connection with him and truly rely on him. The last analogy I want to give you all is when I just want to point out, I was, uh, as I've told you before, I uh, was went to Kenya on a mission trip. And in the mission trip, we stayed with different families and we were in a lot of different rural parts of Kenya. We even I even got a chance to go to a, a church in Kenya. And the interesting part about going to this church is these people were happy. These people thank God for everything. And they thank God in spite of them not having running water, in spite of them not having a refrigerator, in spite of them not even having really a stove to cook anything on. They would cook the, uh, their food over hot coals or, or they would cook it over in uh, uh, an outhouse that was close to the, to the house. And when I went to the church, they didn't have air conditioning. They didn't have running water. They didn't even have a bathroom in the church. They didn't even have lights in the church. What they had in this church were um, was just the door, the building, and they had holes in the wall where you could look out and see uh, who was looking in to try to receive the word. So, so there wasn't any ventilation. The only ventilation were the holes in the walls, which were supposed to be something like windows. And in spite of all that they didn't have, they thanked God for what they did have. And that stuck out to me because when I look at all that we have in America, when I look at all we have as far as our relationship with God and, and as far as all the things we do to uplift ourselves, sometimes when things get bad, we don't even take the time to tell God thank you. And brothers and sisters, what I want us to be able to do now is in the midst of all this going on, still be able to get on your knees and count your blessings and thank God for something that he has done in your life. So brothers and sisters, even though all of our plans have been compromised, even though this may not necessarily be how you expected to spend your 2020 new year. Let's spend all of our, let's all of us together, spend our 2020 year in full submission to God. Let's begin spending our 2020 year in prayer, in deep meditation on this word. So brothers and sisters at this time, pray with me. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for 
allowing us to still have mediums in which we can still come to you and pray. We can still come to you and hear your word. We can still come to you and get a message from you. Lord, we don't know the full extent of your plan. Lord, we don't know the full extent of what you have going on in the world. Lord, we miss our loved ones when they're taken from us. Lord, we miss our loved ones when they fall victim and fall sick. And we pray that it'll be in your will to save them. But Lord, if it's not in your will, we know that you're calling them back to be at home with you. Sometimes we look at death as something as being so morbid and so sad, but that's only because of how it hurts us on our end. But Father God, we pray and we know that the people that are in Christ aren't actually dying completely, but are having life. And this physical death is a transition to eternal life with you. So Father God, I pray for everyone that has lost a loved one. I pray for everyone that uh, may know somebody that's suffering with the virus. I pray for everyone that is struggling with the fact that their plans have been compromised and now they have to submit to your plan. And I pray that during this time, you would give us a clean heart, renewed spirit, and allow us to truly submit ourselves to your plan. Lord, we want you to restore us back to what we once had. But we know that it's probably in your will to renovate us, to get us to something new. So Lord, in this, at the end of this Lent season, at the beginning of uh, this Palm Sunday uh, morning, we pray that we would be reminded of your son's sacrifice. We pray that we would be reminded of your son's, Jesus Christ's level of peace in which he was able to ride into a city of fickle people, of people that were saying Hosanna to him this weekend, but will be screaming crucify him by the next weekend. We pray that you would give us that same level of peace that he had. That in the midst of knowing what your plans were, and in the midst of knowing that he could, that he was going to face death, still adjusted and still kept his pace and still stayed steady on what you would have him to do. So, Father God, in the midst of all that we're going to, keep us agile. Keep our faith agile. Keep our level of peace agile to the point at which we can keep focused and stay in perfect peace no matter what your plans are. In your son Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Good morning, Light Family. I thank you all so much for tuning in. Thank you all for watching. We'll be back next Sunday on Resurrection Sunday, giving you another message, a message of encouragement during these difficult times. I'm so glad to be back with you. I'll be reaching out to you all. I'll be reaching out to the leadership, the family cares, and the congregation, and those on the sick and sudden list. And if you all just want to talk, reach out to me on Facebook. I'll be uh, up at the church and I'll be praying for you. I'll be thinking about you. And I just want you to know that I love you. And also don't forget the joy you have. The world can't give it to you and the world can't take it away. Be thankful for what God has done, what God is doing and what God will do. New Morning Light continue to be the light in the darkness that the darkness cannot overcome.